In this week's episode of Latter-day Lesbian, I am your temporary super nerd, Kimberly Anderson. We're going to be talking about this, that, and the other. We might possibly get around to narcissistic tendencies, narcissistic organizational structures, and we might actually, if we're lucky, get to your viewer questions to figure out just what the hell I was talking about in the last episode that made you curious enough to submit a question. That was really long-winded. That's okay. I Yeah, I have the questions right here. Per- so perfect. it could be that follow-up mm, to our narcissism perfect. episode, right. potentially. What else? We may be talking about Virginia. I, I thought you were going to say virginity for a second. It's been a we while. We could talk about virginity as well. <laughs> yeah, when did that happen? Oh, God. <laughs> we could talk about Bigfoot. Oh, you love to talk about I Bigfoot. I love Bigfoot. We're going to talk about a visitor last night. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're... Yeah, the door-to-door <laughs> uh, exterminator slash uh-huh. Mormon. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right? Of course. Of course. Okay. Where would a Mormon learn about door-to-door sales? <laughs> Weird, right? Uh-huh. Interesting. And you were like, oh, did you serve a mission? The answer is, duh. Of course. But the <laughs> poor kid looked like he was 11. Okay, he may we, have been 11. Should we wait and do oh, the yeah, commercial sorry. and then get into the episode? Our intros tend to get really long. We're like, oh, wait, we're mm-hmm. not even in the, in the episode yet. No, <laughs> weird. <laughs> All right. We will be right back. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Latter Day Lesbian, the podcast about an ex-Mormon gay girl just trying to figure out her life. My name is Mary. And I'm Shelly. I'm Kimberly. <gasps> There's a threesome in the oh, studio. Thruple. Not that kind of threesome. Oh. This thruple. other kind of thru- a thruple. Thruple. <laughs> thruple. Thruple. What's the other kind of threesome? I mean, we have all kinds of threesomes. We have relational triangles. We have oh my goodness, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We have uh, <laughs> we don't we don't we have, have that. a snap, crackle, and pop. They are a threesome. <laughs> oh, <laughs> very good. Yeah, yeah. Larry Mokerly. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Threesome. Yep. Should we do a list of threesomes? <laughs> I think we already are. <laughs> I think that's exactly well, what's the happening. most recent one. Your turn. Go. I did Larry Mokerly. You're putting me on the spot? Yep. And you already said Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. So I got nothing. Mary's out. I got turn. nothing. <laughs> oh, did you do Peter, Paul, and Mary already? No. Ooh, that's a good, good one. one. Oh, nice. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, God. <laughs> um, oh, God. <laughs> Strawberry, vanilla, chocolate. Oh, Neapolitan. Very nice. Okay, Your well, turn, then I can do the Italian version of that with Spumoni, which is cherry ice cream. Pistachio and chocolate. It's called Spumoni. PTSD, CPTSD, and ADHD. <laughs> Fuck. Indeed. Fuck shit. Damn. Damn. <laughs> um, Oaks, Nelson, Nelson Bernard. Oh yes. Oh, God. <laughs> Wait, what I... was that list on Sesame Street a million years ago? Where the kid was trying to remember what he was supposed to pick up. Oh, at the store. oh a loaf of bread, bread stick of butter, and a carton of milk. Carton of milk. That's what it was. Well, now that we have all those lists named and out of the way, this can be the threesome episodes. Okay. What else are we talking about here today? Well, I did a episode recently, a month ago or so, about narcissistic personality disorder. You sure did. I remember I was there. You were there. Yeah. Thank you for being there, by the way. Oh, I appreciate thanks that. Thanks for having me. And I believe on the discussion group on Facebook, there was an option to ask questions, mm-hmm. uh, leave any feedback. I mean, I can't offer any specific advice about particular cases. I don't have any names in front of me. Perfect. I also have a listener letter. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From an actual client of mine who is the beneficiary of sessions funded by Latter-day Lesbian. Oh, I love it. It's a tearjerker. That's awesome. And I have uh, signed permission from her to share this letter with her name attached to it, which is actually pretty vulnerable for a client to do that. Oh, yeah. And I am very nervous, actually, about sharing her information. Um, But she has repeatedly told me that she would like listeners to know who she is and how much the Patreon contributions are helping her in her journey and path to wellness and mental health. So That feels so warm. Wow. That's amazing. Patrons, thank you, mm-hmm. thank you, thank mm-hmm. you for yeah. supporting us. Yes. Because, again, we tithe you like a good cult would, um, <laughs> but our money actually helps others. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, why don't we uh, save the letter for just a little bit? Yeah. Why don't we go ahead and tackle those some of those questions? Ooh, tackle them. <laughs> you're so funny. You're like, send them to me earlier, and then I probably forgot. Mm. So we're going blind here. Perfect. Yeah? yeah. You good? Yeah. Okay. So question number one. Ooh, door number one. <laughs> Good one. I have a question about the fawning mm, section. Mm. 
How do you know if you're fawning or just being empathetic? Mm. I'm big on validation and wondering if I'm a fawner instead. I was raised by a narcissist and my youngest kiddo has bipolar disorder and I'm definitely a codependent. I don't know if you actually do without having some lengthier conversations about an earlier trauma, earlier childhood history, possibly the reasons that you're being empathetic, the situations or the scenarios you're being empathetic within. I think the episode about codependency and narcissism lets people think that the, you know, the fawning is a trauma response. Empathy is not a fawning response. I think empathy that you can't turn off, uh-huh. empathy that you might not be able to set any distance from, that may be a fawning response. I would say if you can uh, look at your past trauma history, uh, and if you have some identifiable moments of trauma or long-term trauma history as a child where you would have Mm -hmm. developed a fawning response. A fawning response isn't developed, uh, you don't develop this from one piece of trauma, you develop this from a kind of a culture of trauma within the home. Is there anything emotional that might happen to you if you're exhibiting empathy versus fawning? It depends. And then that's kind of the catch-all. I mean, you're going you're to hear me say it depends a lot with these questions because there's really no way to say and know every single thing. Uh, trauma response usually is accompanied by rapid breathing, rapid heartbeat, uh, chills, sweats. You shut down. You get sometimes get a weight in your stomach. You feel like you're having a minor panic attack. Um, but you, and you can't fake those trauma symptoms. Those don't necessarily show up when you're fawning, though. If you've done it enough, those will kind of go away and just be your baseline. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure that we can even say that a physiological response is an indicator that you're actually fawning or you're empathetic. Mm-hmm. But that's a good question, actually. Yeah, because I wondered if one made you feel not necessarily the trauma that you felt once upon a time, but does it feel genuine to you as it's happening? We can't judge that. We can never judge anyone else's feelings. But it's something to maybe think about because one of the things we talked about with fawning is that it's often a preemptive measure Mm -hmm. to keep yourself in good graces, right? So if we look at it from that standpoint, from like a a behavior chain analysis— if you feel that you're always hypervigilant, if you feel that you're always on edge looking for the chance to interrupt discomfort, danger, lack of safety, if you're looking for that in the future constantly in a hypervigilant state and your fawning slash empathy is the result of always looking, looking, looking for what could harm you in the future, mm-hmm. then we have a pretty good indicator that it actually is a fawning response. Okay. Yeah. Because she's also saying she's big on validation. So if she is a fawner, Mm -hmm. and she's paying a lot of compliments, for instance, Mm -hmm. to someone, um, then she'll get a great response back, probably. Possibly. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that would help that validation need, potentially. I actually have some empathy for this individual. They more than likely are listening to this exact podcast and Mm -hmm. looking for an answer to their question. And they may not be getting the answer that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think if we're going to start to untangle and really get to the root of a lot of you know, trauma responses, or if it's not a trauma response, this is where it's really helpful to have a trained professional yeah. that understands trauma, that's trauma-informed, and can, you know, work maybe back trauma timeline kind of a thing, examining where trauma mm-hmm. uh, or uh, abusive parents or uh, siblings in the house could have been a you know thing for years on end. The fawning response isn't a response to a one-time thing. This is a, this is a long sure. sequence of events where mm-hmm. the individual learns, oh, I can avoid this pain in the future by taking care of people now preemptively. Right. So the one-time trauma, you can't predict that. But these cultural behavioral patterns of an unsafe environment will teach someone that a funding response creates safety. Okay. And empathy really doesn't have anything to do with your own safety. It's just— No, you're just connected to the person that you're with. Right. So maybe look for little clues like that. I would think also that the difference between empathy possibly and a fawning response would be if if you find yourself walking into a room and constantly able to read the room, walking into a room and being able to read everyone is kind of a form of hypervigilance. You're looking, looking, looking at every aspect of safety or lack of safety. And the fawning response would come from, you know, going into an uh, uncertain situation, a new situation, and really needing to know what the safety is or the lack of safety is. And the way that you can do that is to develop hypervigilance and to be able to read the room very, very very quickly. Mm -hmm. That would be an indicator that's trauma-based. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. This person is interested in knowing how to identify people and organizations with narcissistic tendencies before you get involved with them. What are the warning signs? I don't think you can know. I think maybe if you know people that are involved with the organization, 
Um, you certainly could look, you know, for complaints at the Better Business Bureau. You could look for Yelp reviews, any you know news articles that may have that organization that pops up. If you really want to know, then then take a look at their organizational structure, look at their board of directors, look at their staff. Um, possibly, you know, you might get a, a culture of that. You can also call some people that have used that service and say, hey, what was your experience like? Yeah. What was this like for you? What about on the individual level? What are the warning signs? Like too much charisma? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so if they like claim that they're a prophet of God. <laughs> right. they're, they're never responsible for anything. Well, uh, one thing might be on an individual level, if they're always consistently looking for ways to make themselves look good, mm-hmm. your role in the organization is only to make the organization look good. Yeah. Uh, you're largely disposable. You're not going to get much top-down validation. It's always going to be bottom-up validation because the people at the top don't care about the people at the bottom as long as they keep feeding them accolades, fuel, yeah. aggrandizement. But on the individual level, don't you find that people who exhibit narcissistic tendencies could be potentially pretty clever in, in masking those at first and drawing you in before you even realize that there's So an that's issue? the tool of the narcissist is to be the charismatic person, to right. do the love bombing, to do the endless, ceaseless pedestalization, validation. Yeah. You can do no wrong. Uh, the, one of the things that you can see is if the, the, what the narcissist likes to do is tell everyone— just how great you are. Mm-hmm. You are or they are? No, that you are. Okay. Women, we need you in the church. Shelly, you're <laughs> so amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, but I'm not saying it to Shelly. I would say, so I'm talking about Mary. Right. Because Mary is just unbelievable. She's selfless. Mm-hmm. She's hot. <laughs> I mean, they probably won't say stop, but they might. Um, well, <laughs> she's, she's a hot. great worker. She's mm-hmm. so smart. She uh, great sense of devotion. And then to Mary, they would say, you fucking shithead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why are you like that? You are never, you never do what's right. Why can't you be more like Shelly? Why can't you, be, can't you do more things like her? Why can't you be more like your mother? Why can't you be more like your sister? Mm-hmm. You're always, you're always, you never, these hyperbolic terms. Uh, inside the home with the individual. But outside, Mary is amazing. <laughs> she walks on water. Her shits smell like roses, and they're 24 karat gold. Wow. That's the, that's the dichotomy, <laughs> mm-hmm. is that to the individual in private, they will treat them very, very poorly. Externally to the public, they treat them like they're, they, they walk on water, literally. Can I bring up testimony meetings? Please. Because this is so glaring to me, this whole narcissistic tendencies topic. I think that there are so many, I would say, men in the Mormon church who have been raised and groomed to be narcissists. So I'm not like mad at them for it. They make you that. How That's many- called situational narcissism. And we okay. talked about that in the episode, that an organization that is narcissistic um, by nature, mm-hmm. that needs narcissistic leaders, mm-hmm. the person that may be put in that calling can see the developing narcissistic tendencies is a benefit to carrying out that job. Mm-hmm. They will develop narcissistic tendencies if only to um, be able to execute the requirements of that job. Yeah, That happens all the time in high demand religions. I'm thinking of a few couples in the last ward I was in before I pieced out the church. Peace out. Peace out. So it was always the man getting up to bear his testimony and mm. talking about how he's so humbled by his wife's yeah, loving and fuck caring. You. Fuck you. But we know he's actually <laughs> a dick to her, right? But he's sitting there and to the audience is giving these praises to his wonderful eternal companion who he doesn't even deserve and is grateful every day. And you're like, I'm calling bullshit, bro, because I know your wife. Let's dig a little deeper on that. Do it. Okay. So this person telling the ward all these great things in that audience might be a stake president, might be a high council member. Oh, something. Might be a regional rep that they're looking to impress so that they can climb the ladder. Of course. Additionally, (laughs) their wife may be in the audience and she will know that he is telling the world how great she is. Basically, he's empire building, and he's creating an insulation layer that she can never penetrate because everyone will say, well, he always talks about you in such lovely ways. Oh, right. So if she says to anybody, actually, he's an asshole to me in well, that's private. not the way he is to me. Right. I, hear exactly. him, I hear him tell, talking about you such wonderful uh-huh. ways. I, I, I can't believe yep. you. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's it right yeah, there. It's just for gross. Sure. It, is, it is gross. It's gross. Mm-hmm. It's, it's unnerving. It's creepy as shit. Mm-hmm. And, and it feels dishonest. It is dishonest. And looking back over my way too many years of sitting through testimony meetings, it just happened all the time. Like the husband gushing about how wonderful the wife is and how undeserving he is. And I'm like... Is that real? That's bullshit. We, like, <laughs> Did you, you think it was bullshit at the time? There were a couple couples that I knew more. Okay. 
I knew better. Mm. And I'm like, no, absolutely not is that relationship. But it just sounded so cheesy. It's like when people say, I love each and every one of you. No, No, you you don't. don't. (laughs) You don't know me, bro. It just became this, it just became a typical testimony meeting where you're just spouting shit to make yourself look good, to make it look like you are so humble because of the love you have for your wife. And look, we're like a power couple. And I just hate it. I hate it all. I have a sponsorship idea. Oh, yeah? For the podcast. And it's not Mahogany Queen Coffee Co.? You pl- putting a plug in? <laughs> Our coffee Well, it sponsor. could be them. Uh, I, and w- by the way, I had a cup of that lovely coffee today. Oh, very cup nice. And a cup and a half of it, yep. Mm. A secondary podcast sponsor that might be kind of fun could be Fitbit or Apple Watch. And I'll tell you why I think that might be fun. You could record the podcast mm-hmm. while wearing a device that tracks your heart rate. Mm. Interesting. Right. And then look back at the podcast. Oh, I got elevated. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, yeah. We get, we get emotionally excited when we talk about these things. Yeah. And it would be interesting to see your heart rate tracking along with the emotional response during the recording of a podcast. And if you're recording video, you'll see you'll see me talking oh, with yeah, my hands yeah, yeah, more, yeah. and yeah. then you know the heart rate's... Oh, well, also it fits for our coffee sponsor, because when your heartbeat is elevated, maybe it's because you've had too much caffeine. So please visit <laughs> latterdaylesbian.org slash coffee and learn all about our coffee sponsor, Mahogany Queen. Love you, coffee Mahogany Queen. Co. Yum, yum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure what I did just there. That was we, great. It was perfect. It Are was you like... still recording? I have more to say. Yeah, we yeah. So I'm also, as you were talking about this stuff about um, how do you recognize a cult, do you think— No, no, not a cult. How do you recognize a narcissist? That's what we're talking about specifically. Didn't we talk, ask like because to recognize, recognize a cult, you just have to look at the bite model. That's really easy. Recognizing a narcissist is more difficult. Um, I just immediately was like cult. Well, of course you did because what, that's your baseline, right? Right. Well, fine. I'm going to switch topics because with that, I wonder if people who have left a, a narcissistic cult, um, great way to describe it. Actually, I think so. Uh, like Mormonism or anything else, is it then easier or are you oversensitive? to seeing cult-like behaviors, narcissistic behaviors. Oh, so you start looking for it everywhere, maybe? Oh, I'm so sensitive now. Where's the barometer for being oversensitive to recognizing a cult? Yeah, there's not a barometer. It's great if you can recognize it, but I'm saying when I was in the cult, it was not a cult, but I would blame other places and people and things as being in cults. But when I'm in it, no, Um, no, no. Yeah. And then once I'm out, I'm like, oh my God, it's such a fucking cult. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Starbucks is a cult. Chick-fil-A is a cult. Chick-fil-A is a cult. (laughs) It's a cult, right? And so is Starbucks. Yes, yes. So are you you then better at recognizing or are you... what you're saying is you are not ready to look at the church as a cult, but you are very ready to look at other organizations as cult. Well, I had to because my organization was accused of being a cult, and of course, you, you had to defend, defend it, it to the death. Yeah. And so then you pick out people that, oh, no, th- now that's a cult. Uh-huh. It's just deflection. Yeah, for sure. Deflection. Interesting. Yeah, And Interesting. denial, honestly, because yeah. there's no way, because I'm not stupid enough. I would never be I'm a not cult. gullible enough. Yeah. I am, I'm smart. I'm a college degree. Right. I can do research. This is the one true. I would right? know yeah. if I was in a cult. Uh, if I was in a cult, I would <laughs> so know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> wrong. You right. would not know because you're brainwashed while you're in it. Mm-hmm. All right, can we get back to the question? Please. Oh, sorry. Okay. No problem. ADHD. Mm -hmm. Tell me you have ADHD Mm -hmm. without telling me you have ADHD. The the last 10 minutes. And actually, I think there's a funny thing that that some therapists are, well, not a funny thing, an interesting thing that a lot of therapists on TikTok are doing. We're really looking at CPTSD and ADHD and seeing that there's so many similarities and overlaps Mm. that a lot of ADHD tendencies actually are CPTSD. And that could be a really fascinating podcast topic. Absolutely. And I I was telling you this this morning, I want to have Leslie Cook from... She's here in Virginia. Yes. She's nearby. And I think I could twist her arm to get her here to do it. She is okay. she is my go-to for anything ADHD or autism related. I think that would be really yeah, good. It would be really good. Okay. So this person really enjoyed the flying monkeys oh. comparison. So he or she or they. they. Thank you for gender uh-huh. inclusive. Yeah. Never heard of the flying monkeys concept in connection with narcissism before. Mm. I backed up and listened to that part three times because it was blowing my mind and making some things make so much sense. Do you have any other thoughts on the flying monkeys? Yes, they have cute vests. <laughs> they wear a little cute hat. <laughs> they have vests. <laughs> the little tassel. And They're scary as fuck. Yep, that's the music. Something sparked their interest in the idea that the flying monkeys were used to get a message to Dorothy. Mm -hmm. All the time. Right. So 
maybe the idea is, are there other ways that they're kind of messengers? It's perfect for the narcissism metaphor. I'm waiting for messengers from father. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Arin. Oh, oh. Are we up to staging Paragon? (laughs) No, no, that was Paragon's uncle. Uncle Pirate God. UPG, baby. (laughs) Um, Dan, I think that calls for some reverb. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny because it's true. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so the idea that the narcissist uses a person that we've named a flying monkey. As a messenger. Right, to get the message past the gray rocking or the no contact or whatever the technique is the person is using to not... To, to, to ignore the, the boundary, person, right? right? So I'm, <laughs> I'm getting in the question that they're looking for maybe other ways, other types of persons or personality disorders. It seems to me that they're looking for some kind of a connection with other types of diagnoses or personality disorders that could be a similar thing. Maybe. Kind of subtle messengers. I'm not sure what well, I understand So I'm the struggling question. to actually understand the, the entirety of the question, <laughs> yeah. quite frankly. Yeah. And that's no shade on this person. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Let's just say this. Yes. I mean, this kind of does go back to just boundaries in general. Mm-hmm. When a boundary is set that the person with the boundary that's being set doesn't like it, mm-hmm. they will find any way they can to break down that boundary. Yeah. They'll find a workaround. Any workaround. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Texting, mm-hmm. phone calls, memes, gifts. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say GIFs, like GIFs. GIFs. <laughs> JPEGs. PNGs. They'll use all of them. They'll use WAV files. They'll mm-hmm. use MP3, MP4. LMNOP. Uh, QRSTV. WXYZ. Y and Z. Y and Z. Oh, this might call for a... Oh, never mind. I was thinking of a triplet thing, but I... Oh, oh I've got one. I've got one. Yeah. The primary colors are one, two, three. Red. Yellow and green. Blue. Blue. <laughs> kind of shitty ass no. primary kid were you? <laughs> Exhibit A. <laughs> Wait, I thought she wanted validation during yes. this episode. Oh, oh, green should have been it. Good try, Coming. Kimberly. <laughs> that was a good Red, uh, yellow, and blue. Triple. I teach Ruffle. color theory Ruffle. or I taught color theory. Oh, but yeah. I screwed that up really badly. <laughs> did. It was my moment in the sun and oh, I shrunk. Mm-hmm. I, I put a lot of pressure on you. It was shriveled. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. Uh, back to the question. Oh, sorry. Okay. Okay. This is talking about childhood wounds slash trauma. Okay. How do you know your relationships? I think we've talked about this. Significant other and friends are true and not a trauma response. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> you don't. There's your answer. You really don't. Now, what I would say is everything that's happening to us is true. Right. Uh, I mean, now we're getting into existentialism and, yeah. and all that deep stuff. I actually think it's a, it's a false premise to the question. I kind of would break down the question. Uh, we don't know what the, even the definition of the word true is. We're not even sure what, we, what the word friend means in this context. Mm. Uh, and we don't, we're not even sure what the word trauma means in this context. So I think that the viewers may be looking for a very specific answer to a very specific question. And they're looking for that answer with a general question that leaves a lot of context out. I think the question is too nebulous and too vague really to even address or to answer. And I'm trying not to be evasive or throw shade at that listener, Mm -hmm. but I think the question needs a lot of exposition to really understand what the example they're referencing is actually about. Need more info. It depends. So we can say yes, no, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yes, no, maybe. There you go. Throuple. So for instance, if the person uh, believed they were not worthy of love, Mm, okay, now up. we're getting to attachment okay, style. Yeah, sure. And then later in life, choose a partner that is difficult to get close to, difficult to demonstrate love. Okay. I think the question is, is that real love that I'm feeling for that person? Okay, now we've got the can of monkeys open here. Okay. There is no way to quantify what real love is. It's impossible to quantify that. If that was a person in my office, we would spend the next probably 50 minutes of a clinical session busting down what is true, what is love, and what is friend. What do these mean to you? And by breaking apart those three words, we're going to get a lot of context and a lot of history that is going to inform me as a clinician as to exactly what it is that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Uh, In a lot of these questions, there's a lot of assuming that we know what they're talking about, and we really don't. Mm. Sometimes these Q&As do get a little bit interesting or difficult. The person asking the question 
has all the context, and they assume that we know their context. Sure, sure. Again, no shade at the asker of yeah. the questions. Mm-hmm. And I do think they're doing a, you know, a general service because they know the question is asked in a public forum. They may want to protect identities. Mm-hmm. They may want to protect their own safety in asking these questions, which I respect all of those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think if they're looking for specific answers, sort of clinician can be really, really helpful. Right. I think that examining the past is incredibly helpful mm-hmm. because we can see patterns that we've been involved in. Sure. And if we go back far enough and if the person understands attachment style, then we can really see where this person's attachment style develops and how it may have either been beneficial or not beneficial in forming subsequent relationships and developing a pattern that turns into a habit mm-hmm. that currently the person may be experiencing in a way that they don't really enjoy um, sure. and they're trying to break out of. And a lot of times that context and that understanding of where these patterns came from mm-hmm. can empower them to say, this is not something that I am. This is something that has happened to me. That's more of a kind of a trauma-informed way of looking at the challenges in your life. This is not something that's inherently wrong with me. Yeah. I am behaving in these ways now because of the context of pain and suffering and trauma that has happened to me in the past. So, Shelly, this sounds like a good time for a break. I agree. We'll be right back. We are back. Do we have time for a few more of these? Sure. Wow, there are a lot of questions here. (laughs) We may have to do a two-parter. That's fine. I divorced a narcissist after 35 years. Congratulations. Wow. I'm trying to not be his fuel. I've noticed my 20-year-old daughter only befriends narcissists. I'm trying not to be his fuel. Go no contact if you can. I'm sorry. I cut you off. Because that is my answer right there. Right. And then I'm thinking, okay, there's a daughter involved. She may not have the capacity to go no contact. I'm sorry I cut you off. Yeah. I think that's the complication is that she's got a daughter, and I guess they're dealing with co-parenting. It's good that the daughter's already 20 years old. So maybe she can have less contact with the father because now the kid's an adult. I mean, the kid could be a flying monkey. Could be. That's often how it goes, actually. Well, this says, I've noticed my 20-year-old daughter only befriends narcissists. I think they find her because she is kind. It's what allowed me to be the codependent in my marriage. How do I help her recognize the pattern and how to not continue to fall for this without bringing up that her dad is a narcissist? Also, the ex uses her to do all his odd jobs and errands since I'm not around to do it any longer. Oh, oh my gosh. Hmm. Those toilets must be really clean in her. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. boy, that's complex. I think yeah. the daughter could, quite frankly, be the flying monkey that the abusive parent knows can get through any no-contact situation or any boundaries that are in place. Uh, this is particularly nefarious because the abusive or the narcissistic parent knows that. And takes advantage of it. And the abuse not only is to the person that the flying monkey is delivering the message to, but the abuse often is in the form of shame for the individual who Mm -hmm. may actually not want to give the message, but maybe feels through shame and guilt that their duty, their obligation is to deliver the message. I wonder if there's a way to talk to the daughter about the types of behavior, not necessarily in the dad, but like when she does certain things, does she feel like she's doing too much, maybe, or it's putting her out, or she feels uncomfortable? Maybe there's a way to talk to her daughter. So then we need to kind of go back to the basic behavior of the narcissist, which they sometimes, often, generally, a lot, but not always. If you're tracking with me, congratulations. <laughs> they will often do what we call poisoning the well. Mm. And they may fill the daughter, the child's head, with messaging that lets them think or know that the mom— it's not worthy of their, their attention or listening. Yeah. Mom is bad, inherently bad. She lies. She's done something wrong. Okay. Um, the the mom's version of whatever, we can dismiss it. It's not it. accurate. It's not accurate, yeah. right? Yeah, that could be happening. We don't know. So that's called poisoning the well. Whoo! It's deep stuff. It is deep stuff. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you realize you've created a codependent relationship Get out of with it. a sibling? <laughs> oh, ooh. Oh. <laughs> Everything feels weird now, and I don't even know how to begin changing things. Codependent relationship with a sibling. I mean, recognizing it is a huge step. Recognizing it uh, indicates that the individual doesn't like it. They're finding some discomfort in it. They're finding that it's not beneficial to them. So recognizing it is step one. Seeing how the codependent relationship doesn't serve them. Maybe identifying ways in which they are codependent. 
seeking some help. I mean, there's Reddit forums, there's all kinds of messaging boards. I mean, there, you know, there's lots of online therapy too that's very inexpensive that could, you know, work with basic codependency issues. Uh, it comes down to boundaries and willingness to set them and willingness yeah. to reinforce them. Right. Because, you know, it could be easy for the sibling to be like, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. You don't want me to do bloody mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And just ignore it. And ignore it. Mm-hmm. And then it's up to you to feel awkward and be like, oh, You're remember? so overreactive. Yeah, You're exactly. always taking me so, so seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's challenging. Mm-hmm. I invite anyone in that situation to actually just say, okay, well, um, I'm going to go now and walk out the door <laughs> <laughs> or uh, hang uh, up the phone. <laughs> right. A super quick, efficient way to end that relationship <laughs> yeah. is to just address them eye to eye yeah. and say, I am tired of being in this codependent relationship uh-huh. with you, and then kicking them in the nuts. Yeah. Like, literally, you just have to put down yeah. your foot and say, I am done. This is the boundary that I'm setting. Yeah. And not really you know, legitimately kick them in the nuts, but well, I don't know. Know. <laughs> <That> <laughs> <may be laughs> Metaphorically. Right. Metaphorically. But setting that boundary and maintaining that boundary, kind of at all costs, because, again, yeah. in codependency, uh, there is a bit of a narcissistic fawning dynamic that's in play. Uh, again, we're, we're talking about trying to solve other people's problems, if the individual with the challenge either can't seek help or is unwilling to even look for help, you really can't do much. Uh-huh. From an outside perspective, making somebody change is never effective. You, uh, you have to change you. One of the things that you can do if you really want to help somebody is to teach them about boundaries. Yeah. To teach them about narcissism and to teach them about codependency. Not say, you're codependent, but rather... Let's learn, or that's I'm reading this book, or mm-hmm. whatever. Don't uh-huh. therapize your friends. Sure, even therapists don't do that. Yeah, or your sibling, in or this your case. sibling, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, sibling relationships are complicated. They are, and you know, I do suggest though that if it does get bad and they belittle you or don't take you seriously or ignore your boundaries, then hang up the phone or walk out the door. And that boundary setting can be difficult, and it can often involve feelings of guilt. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so many self help books about narcissism and codependency. Uh, Google is your friend here. I could recommend a dozen of them, but I don't want to because mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's often really helpful for the the person finding the self help book to buy into the one that they find because there are so many. I could refer one that they may not like, but if they do some research and read some reviews and find the one that they, you know, find speaks to them, they're going to buy into it a little bit more. Yeah, they'd be more invested. Mm-hmm. Should we do one more question? Sure. Can you have a healthier friendship with a narcissist, or do you need to remove them from your life to maintain your own? Depends. It, all these are it depends. Mm-hmm. Uh, define healthy, right? Define friendship. I would say a healthy friendship. Well, let's just examine what a healthy friendship would be. Does a healthy friendship require you? Here's my phrase: to set yourself on fire mm-hmm. to keep other people warm. Yeah. If you feel that that friendship is requiring endless sacrifice from you. If you feel like your only job in the friendship is to be the fuel for that person, that's a pretty clear indicator that you are the fuel source for the narcissist. Mm-hmm. If you consider that a healthy friendship, I would challenge that belief. Um, if you would consider it a friendship, I would challenge that belief. Any friendship that makes you sacrifice even a small part of who you are uh, as an authentic individual, that's not a friendship. That's abuse. That's manipulation. Mm-hmm. I was in one of those not friendships for a few years. You don't say. Yeah, it. you sure me, were. Me too. Yeah. On many levels. Mm-hmm. 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 Out of it now. Thank you. Yay. Good. Yeah. Thank that's you, baby great. Jesus. Well, I mean, seriously, this is oh, a hard yeah. journey. For we joke sure. about, we joke, and we do on this podcast, and I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not here all the time. Mm-hmm. You guys do. It's your podcast. You joke about this all the time. It's hard to leave this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. It comes at a tremendous uh, risk. A lot of pain sometimes is in that you know, wake of leaving. I know it is true for me. Yeah. A lot of relationships have been kind of severed beyond uh, repair. Mm-hmm. Some of those relationships are being mended right now, but it's a hard thing to leave uh, with your dignity intact. That's one of the signs of a cult, by the way. Mm. If you can't leave with your dignity intact, you are in a cult. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, you know, without going into details, the friend that Shelly is referring to sucked her in by praising her That's in the beginning. Yeah. 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 Make her, made her feel Our so relationship good. is special. This friendship is special. Uh-huh. It's different than anything else. Uh-huh. You're, you're my go-to. You're uh-huh. my, you know. Yeah. That's grooming behavior. And then having having rules that I was not aware Privy of. Right. Yeah. And then when I broke a rule, like being a friend with someone that she didn't approve of, it was this instant 
backlash and cutting me out and like severe. Right. Yeah. She didn't like me very much. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because you were able to identify a, a relationship that wasn't healthy. Like mm. right out of the gate. And, yeah. sh- and share yeah. that information with Shelly. Uh-huh. And mm. then that person didn't want Shelly's eyes to be open. Right. Yeah. And see the relationship for what it was and then leave. Mm-hmm. You can tell when a boundary needs to be set or after the boundary has been set, you know it's a good boundary that was necessary if you get tremendous pushback from the person you've set the boundary with. Mm -hmm. The the boundary, we could probably talk about this in another episode, but the boundary that I had to set was so, I had to do something that I knew she would never forgive. Mm. And it's true. (laughs) We are no longer in contact. I had to be true to myself and tell a truth that I knew would never, never be forgiven by her. And now I'm free. Was that an honest, authentic truth? Yeah, or, told or the was truth. It, or was it a fabrication <laughs> just to get her? No, 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 no. I was keeping a secret, uh-huh. and I told it. Um, I would do it again 10 times over. Because that we, relationship was that toxic. It was that toxic. And the people that were being hurt by the secret didn't deserve it. Secrets are dangerous. Oh, yeah. 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 And keeping the secret was turning me into somebody that I wasn't. That's what the danger is in the secret. Yes. Absolutely. Like, I was having nightmares at night and trying to avoid the people that I was used to be really close to. But now that the secret was something to do with them, I was avoiding them and, and changing my entire life and personality and everything to keep this secret for fear of losing the friendship. Mm. I hear some emotion in your voice right now. Oh, we were tight. We were tight. A lot of times I'm like, I wish I could go back to the first two years of that friendship because it was fucking awesome. But I think it was a version of friendship that she wanted you to see. I don't think it was. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. The friendship that we had the first couple of years was amazing. It was truly, truly special. Mm. Finding someone that we had so much in common with, such a similar backstory, someone you could be totally open and honest with. I and mean, it was great. And then it started becoming, looking back, controlling. Yeah. You know, there was a third member of our Godhead that, um, you know, <laughs> trios and girlfriendships. That's a total, total oh, stereotype. Um, but the I was— third wheel. The third wheel. I was not allowed to be friends with her. And so that started drama, and that was, like, cutting me off and blah, blah. And it just became this— It's like her punishment for me disobeying was so severe, it put me into depressive— Like, not just, oh, I'm sad, but, like, I can't get out of bed. Like, Sounds I, like you may have been in a codependent relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm sorry, honestly. It was very, it was hard. Yeah. The last breakup, if you want to call it that, like literally, I ended up in group therapy because I was, you know, waking what up. Are you, at what night, are you feeling? Not to, not to therapize you too heavily right now, but what are you feeling in your body right now? Stress. I'm going back to remembering the feelings I would have. What does um, the back of your neck feel like? So tight. Yeah. I'm like hot. I'm, I'm tight. What's your heart doing? It's race. It's, yeah, it's pounding. Oh, for sure. Are you sweating? Yes. Yeah. Headache, little headache. Yeah. Tightness in your head. Yeah. yeah. I just I feel like I'm all clenched up. Because that was probably some of the darkest moments of my life. I had given this person so much power over my emotions and my feelings that when she chose to just, you betrayed me, you were friends with the person I said you could be friends with and cut me out of her life for, you know, a couple of weeks at a time. By the way, the person she didn't want her to be a friend with is the yeah. sweetest person we're, in the We're world. currently <laughs> friends with her now because she's fucking amazing. Like, she's, she's sweet so and great. kind and— <laughs> This I want to be, be her friend. I know. You would like her. Yeah. She's, so, she's yeah. really awesome. She's really awesome. Anyway, it was, it destroyed my world. It was like panic attacks all night and crying. It sounds like you're having a mini panic attack right now just thinking about it. I'm remembering it. It, it was yeah. a dark, yeah. dark time. Yeah. I'm sorry. So that, that there is like, in my mind, one of the big risks of allowing yourself to be that vulnerable and attached to someone who's so fucking unhealthy for you because you don't even see it. Brent would tell me all the time, like, why are you so worried? Why are you checking your phone to see if she texted? He'd get so upset he'd be there for me because I would be literally having, like, suicide thoughts. It wasn't like, I'm going to kill myself over this situation. It was, this feels so horrible. I don't want to feel this way anymore. Like, the darkness and the panic and the, it's crazy. Because she took herself away from you. Yeah. And she knew that would hurt you. Yep. It was wild. It was wild. And really, I do think that the only way to end it, not that when I told the truth about the lie that had been being carried, I wasn't thinking, well, this is a way to get out of it. It was, I have to get this off my chest. I I warned her I couldn't keep it up. She had multiple chances to set everything 
right and and actually not be called out on what was going on. Um, but she wouldn't, 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 wouldn't. And I was just becoming like this shell, right? I'm like, oh my God, I'm turning into a liar. I'm turning into, like, I'm betraying people. Um, I can't do this. Um, and I just had to set it straight. Not that I'm straight, but you know what I mean? Um, You're not straight? I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> what podcast am I on? <laughs> <laughs> I know. But even doing that and knowing the friendship would be gone, looking back, I'm like, God, I'm so glad I did that. It had to be completely done. None of this. That's no contact. Exactly. And it, I think, because I was still very weak there, it had to be her deciding no contact. I had to betray her in her mind so harshly that she would never want anything to do with me. Mission accomplished. So much happier now, by the way. And especially looking back, I'm like, oh my God, who was I? So you don't think you would have had the strength to take yourself out of that relationship? No. Ever? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, I think uh, you're pretty strong. Well, ever, I mean, according to, you know, it gets stronger and stronger, but could I have somehow, would would she have eventually done the right thing? Or I I, I don't, who who knows? Could she have been a friend to you without trying to control you? That's the question. No, because we'd already been down that path. Yeah. We had already become so, like, enmeshed. Oh, we, we were literally, like, did everything together. Woke up in the morning, start FaceTime. I'm surprised time. you didn't bone, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> She's actually not my type. Oh, okay. It's weird. You typically don't bone someone that's not your type. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Typically. But emotionally, Shelly had crawled right up her asshole. Oh, for sure. I needed that validation. <laughs> Sorry, I that's needed... graphic, everybody. It is graphic, but it, <laughs> it, might, be, it might be accurate, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was also this thing that the two of us together were one. Like, people will, will, will so always So you were say, oh, an enmeshed system. Yeah, it's, oh, bl- yeah. it's Blank and Shelly. It was never just Shelly. It was never just her. It was, it was us together. We were known as that. People loved that about us. Um, so I really disrupted that. Oh, combo. you fucked it sideways hard. It's great. <laughs> it needed, wasn't needed a thruple. To happen. That's <laughs> not a famous thruple we can <laughs> it <was> mention. <laughs> not a thruple. And you know what's interesting? This should have been a big red flag. And I mentioned this to Diana. We know Diana here. And when I told her, she th- said this, Diana was like, that is so fucking selfish. But when she said the thing, I didn't think it was selfish. I thought it was like, oh, wow, she really cares about me. The thing was, when I finally came out of the closet to her and we talked about it off and on, she goes, my biggest fear is that you will find a woman and fall in love with, and, you know, I'll just be kind of left. Cast aside. Cast aside. That was actually a really vulnerable thing, maybe, that she said. I mean, unless she said it intending to manipulate. Those vulnerable things can often be. Yeah. They're hidden. Ooh, as, it's yeah. so complicated, isn't it? No. Yeah. Yeah. Because I believe we're, there we're was. messy. I think there so was messy. truth to that. I think mm-hmm. she really was afraid that she would be replaced. I'm sure, of course, like we were the duo, you know? Diana's point was, and looking back now, this person never, um, I won't say never, but typically never pushed for me finding what I wanted, what made me happy. It was what made the both of us happy together, right? Well, you did automatically what made her happy. That's true. So it was always about what made her happy. Oh, absolutely. Oh, she could have said jump and you would have been how high? Oh, for Easily. sure. For sure. Easily. And the friendship started to break down a bit after you and I got together. It was almost like And she would FaceTime you when we were on a date. Mm-hmm. We would be on a date and she would FaceTime and, and Shelly would have to take the FaceTime Yeah, of course call. I'd be in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On our date. Yeah. <laughs> and so I started not responding immediately because, you know, I was blown away by this one, falling in love with everything, and, and this person did did not like that. So yeah, I guess there wasn't any room for me to have anyone else in my life. Full-on codependency. Oh, hardcore. What's Absolutely. The, what's the single word you would use to describe that relationship? One word. Think about it. Fucked. I was just thinking that. <laughs> it was so bad. Like, I could list so many words. Oh, God. I could do an entire series about this relationship and how much it fucked with me. What are you feeling in your body still right now? Stress. Yes. Do you want to hack do you want to hack your brain? Yes. Like neurologically, do you want to hack your brain right now? Do it. All right. Sit with your feet on the ground, feet square on the ground. And I'm gonna invite listeners to do this too if this gets if it's if this is left in here. Hands on your knees, back straight. Okay, you're gonna breathe in through your nose to the count of five. You're gonna hold it and then you're gonna breathe out through your mouth, count of five. Okay, in. Take it out a little bit. In through your nose. Releasing that tension. 
I think there's still a lot of unhealed shit in that. Absolutely, there is. That's I'm seeing it in your body. Yeah. As you're talking about the story, I'm hearing it in your voice. I'm seeing it in your chin. Often we hide that stress in our chin. I can see there's also some tears just under the surface. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That breathing is a neurological hack to teach your limbic system that there is safety present. And it re-engages your prefrontal cortex, your executive functioning, and your higher thinking to solve the problem. But that breathing signals to the limbic system that it's safe. And it allows neurological signals to pass to other parts of the brain. It's a literal brain hack. I like it. Yeah. I've been hacked. Thank you for letting me do that with you. Of course. Yeah, yeah thank you. And after the whole thing blew up, I would get people pulling me aside or texting me whatever, be like, I always liked you better than I liked her anyway, which was kind of a funny thing. But <laughs> kind they of validating. Were, I was I'm like, good, goddammit. Nice. Um, but I got a lot she's of— She's a bitch. <laughs> exactly. But I also got a lot of people saying, I never liked the way she treated you. I never liked mm. the way you followed her around and did her bidding. Yeah. Um, and these people didn't say anything to you back when this no. was going on? No. Most people think it's none of my business, right? Yeah, just whatever. That's their French. I, you know. Mm, yeah. People stay out. Yeah. because yeah. they And often they stay out because they see the toxicity of the narcissist is, mm. might be too much to and it could oh, overpower them. that's true. Yes, that is true. It's like, I don't want to touch that. that. There's my 10-foot pole. <laughs> Give me two of those. I'm yeah. stringing them together. Connect them to the end. and Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. How are you feeling still? Because I'm still seeing some stuff inside you that maybe— I haven't gone into this in— Years. Long time. It's bringing yeah. up something, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's the memories. It's all the old friend group. It's the working at the gym. It's my entire life that is no longer. And are I miss you, a lot of okay? it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's weird because I had this life, and I and I loved my gym friends. Like, this was my friend group that helped pull me out of Mormonism. This was, mm. like, my net, right? And, and I've talked about it before in the podcast about how I joined a gym, and suddenly I could be whoever I wanted to be, and they actually liked me. These are the people I came out of the closet to. These are the people, like, these were my friend group. Shit went down. I told the truth. Had to leave the gym. It was just too toxic there. We, I couldn't be in the same gym working with this ex-friend of mine now. And so then you just kind of, you lose track. I would still meet up with them sometimes, the old friends, and then COVID hit, right? Fucking COVID. So I look at my <laughs> Seriously? life. Seriously? Yeah, no, really. Like, there was no way to keep that same kind of relationship with those people. I miss mm -hmm. that a lot. Yeah. Have you grieved that loss yet? And my intent is not to reopen that wound. No, 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 no. For example, she texted me the other day just because she was asking if my daughter could go play with her daughter, right? We rarely are in contact. It's once in a blue moon when she knows that the kids are with me and, and two of my kids are best friends with two of her kids. So it's not manipulation contact? No, okay. no. And it's funny because it's almost like I would want that if she were to contact me just because she wants to talk to me. I think that would feel good. Do you think you'd get sucked back into that relationship pattern? Mm <sighs> I don't know. I think it's safe because she hates me. That's the way it needs to be. She needs to just not want me completely for it to be safe for me yeah. to have any kind of contact. You know, she texted me the other day and was like, bing, her picture comes up. And I'm like, it's this instant like, uh, you know. It's a trauma response. Absolutely. And I think I was kind of in a, in a funk for a few hours afterwards. It's just this weird. That is the crash after the adrenaline hit. Mm. You know, and she, she just asked, hey, can, can Sabrina come over? We're going to watch a show and eat crabs, right? And it took me so long to respond. Type, delete, type, delete. Like, I could have just been, we're out of town, right? That's all you need to say because that's all it was. But it was like this, do I say, oh, Mary and I just caught some crabs off of our dock. Like, that's what I wanted to say. But it's like, that's not our relationship anymore. Um, I wanted to say, oh, that's so nice of you. But again, would she view that as me reaching for something more and her being like, fuck you, you know? It's very complicated. And the more I'm explaining it yet, yeah, it's... What's the safest way to proceed with that person? Zero contact. And thankfully, that's what she wants. Because I, I am worried that if she were to show up right now and knock on the door and be like, hey, let's hang out and shoot the breeze. I'd be like, yeah, let's shoot the breeze. It would so, fuck me up. So knowing that... Maybe plan a response to what might happen because we do know that she's contacting you to coordinate, you know, care with her child and your child. There may be a chance that she comes and sits on that front swing in your front of your house and wants to shoot the breeze. How do you think you would respond to that? I'm just glad it's not going to happen anytime soon. And if it did, right. how do you think you respond to that? I mean, honestly, I would say sure. And it would knowing be knowing the risk. Uh. It... What does it serve you to sit down and talk with her? I would love to know how her life is going. 
the good parts of the relationship I miss big time. Mm. I really do. I can see it in your face. Yeah. But there, especially by the end, there was so much bad that the good was gone, you know? So then let's go back to my question. How do you think you would respond if she came and knocked on the door? You've just described 30 different ways why this relationship was toxic. I hate to say it, but I would, and it would likely cause problems between Mary and I. I think so. Like, I, Okay, that's the response. What do you think you would say to her if she knocked on the door? I would say, yeah, let's talk. Like, I'm just being honest. Knowing that it would cause problems for you and Mary. What are you risking by talking to her? I'm needling a little bit. Now, let's be no, no, very clear. Great. I'm this not your great. therapist. Right. Um, I'm just your friend. But I do think that this is a chance to kind of model for the audience a question being asked about how you might respond to a toxic relationship. And you kind of saying yes and opening the door back in. What good is it doing you? In what ways does that potential contact benefit you Clearly, the most important relationship you have right now is the one between your children. And then the next one, I would say, is the one between you and Mary. How does that relationship benefit the relationship with your children? Or how does it benefit the relationship with Mary? Does it benefit anybody? No. Okay. I'm just going so with what, what you, my response. Right. My, I'm just being honest with what I would probably say so if she showed up good. right now. And I yeah. appreciate the fact that— I'm not like the right thing would no, be blah, blah, blah. Right. I know what the right thing is, but what would I do? You know? So knowing that you might—knowing there's risk— Mm-hmm. To Mary's relationship or to your children's relationship, knowing that there's risk, you're still going to let that person in. It would be really hard for me to not. Mm. I'm just being. I'm just being honest. No, no, no. And that's yeah. not, and and so I'm not like I would never. I'm being honest. I. And I that's lie, the vulnerability that's know? so lovely in, in our friendship. Yeah, it's you're, like if if, yeah. if a meth addict is like, I'm never doing that again, and then someone's in free meth. Like, Boom. to be honest, mm-hmm. I probably would do it. You know. I'm addicted to you, baby. <laughs> You're a hard <laughs> habit to break. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's take another quick break and Pay then more bills. we'll wrap this up. And we're back. In my mind, I wouldn't envision, oh, okay, I let her into chat. We're going to go back to super unhealthy lapdog trauma. I'm doing everything. Like, I would never want that, sure, right? Sure. I don't know who she is at this point. If she could be someone that, that I go to lunch with once a month and catch up, I would love that. Will that ever happen? Hell will freeze over because of what I did to her in her mind as far as the betrayal. The betrayal. Can, the I, ask you, betrayal. can I ask you a question? Yes. In that relationship, mm-hmm. did you suffer enough pain? Oh, God, so much. Did you suffer enough to never see her again? No. You could stand to suffer some more pain. Um, I'm not saying I want more, but I'm, I'm saying like I, I went through so much anyway and still went back, right? Like I went through literally emotional breakdown, right. suicidal thoughts. Right. Um, couldn't couldn't parent my children. You know, I basically laid on the floor and cried and I would just think, you know, if I killed myself— what would my kids think? Like that was keeping me around all because she told me I was no longer in her friend group and then was blatantly um, throwing herself at other friends on social media. It sounds sixth grader-ish, but I was so wrapped up in this. But those patterns know? that we develop as sixth graders are the ones that we echo oh, yeah. for the rest of our life. Yeah. Can I take a minute to just maybe explain why I think this interaction, this exercise is important? Mm-hmm. This exercise is not just for you and me, although this is the initial thing that's going on now. There's going to be a lot of people listening to this that are going to go, oh, that sounds just like me. And I want to validate their experience with whatever toxic relationship they're in as very damaging, very harmful, but extremely difficult to break out of just Mm -hmm. because of the power, the magnetism, the charisma the narcissist really uh, instills with this person that mm-hmm. serves as their fuel source, the grooming, the love bombing, the, yeah. the over-the-top behavior, and then yeah. just the extreme toxicity of the relationship. It is hard as fuck to get out of those relationships. I want to validate if anyone out there is in that type of relationship right now, I'm going to say that I see you and I validate you and I hold space for you as you try to figure out the best safest way to navigate out of that relationship if possible. It is hard stuff. Absolutely. And same. Like, I mm-hmm. will never belittle someone thinking, right. well, just tell them you don't want to be friends. You don't need that. Because I got that a lot from my husband at the time, which 
I'm sure he was fed up with it, seeing mm-hmm. me just crash. Right. And then we pair our friendship, and suddenly I don't need him anymore, right? I'm off having a great time with my with my bestie. And then I would do the wrong thing, and she would dump me, and then I'd be on the floor crying all the time. Like, it is not easy to just say, I don't want you in my life anymore. That's the problem. It's and, so hard. Yeah, and even— after you do the right thing, you you clear the air, you tell the truth, you apologize to people that you've lied to, you do all the right things. You know, logically, this person is horrible for me. This person makes me do bad things. They can still do what? Oh, yeah. Yeah, still drag you back in. You know, they still—you don't have to act like, fuck them, I didn't need it. I mean, that's that's a way to just put up that wall that fuck her and her life. Psh, I'm done. Moving on. It doesn't just—you're never done, and you just moved on. Well, and it's similar, possibly, to someone struggling with alcoholism. They might say, if you ask them, I want alcohol every single day of my life. I choose to not have alcohol. And similarly, you might really want to be her friend more than anything, but you choose not to because you think that's ultimately the best for you. You're struggling with that yeah. idea. Oh, absolutely, because I, I because I'm going back to is this actually my choice or did I make it so that she got to make the choice and end it? I really feel like it had to be a situation where she said, "I will never speak to you again." For but it you to never... set those events in motion to make that happen. It's not like you weren't part of it at all. I did, but in the back of my mind, it wouldn't mean it was over forever. Like we would we would get past it. Would we ever be that tight again? Probably not. But would be able to like hang out and go out drinking and laugh and like be the life of the party again. Hell okay. yeah. Can know? the alcoholic have just one drink? <laughs> right. I wanna I wanna do a little Google here. So stick with me. I'm gonna no, do some key clicking here. Now Wikipedia at its core is edited by a large group of people that are pretty smart. So I'm gonna go with this definition. I wanna read you Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome is a condition in which hostages develop a psychological bond with their captors during captivity. Now, think not so much during captivity, but during their relationship. Yeah, yeah. Emotional bonds may be formed between captors and captives during intimate time together, but these are generally considered irrational in light of the danger or risk endured by the victims. Stockholm Syndrome has never been included in the DSM. Uh, the standard tool for diagnostic of psychiatric illnesses and disorders in the U.S. due to a lack of consistent body of research. That's true. I can I can confirm that. The four key components that characterize Stockholm Syndrome. A hostage's development of positive feelings toward the captor. Put a finger down. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. No previous relationship between hostage and captor. Is this someone you knew for years or was this a new relationship? This was my, like literally my first Best friend post-Mormonism. So no previous relationship between hostage and captor. A hostage's belief in the humanity of the captor because they cease to perceive the captor as a threat when the victim holds the same values as the aggressor. Hmm. You just described this person as your first friend out of Mormonism. Yeah. Oh, you you were a duo, and you worked together. Yeah, you had the you same, had the same values. Yeah, absolutely. We yeah. we we both left the church. We both grew up not abiding by Mormon standards. You know, we both had secrets. This was the first person that we shared about like our sexual experiences as teenagers, right? Because right. you don't talk about that shit when you're Mormon, right? I'm going to read that last bullet point one more time. A hostage's belief, Shelley's belief. In the humanity of the captor, because Shelley ceases to perceive the captor as a threat when you hold the same values as the aggressor. Does that line up with your experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This brutal stuff. Yeah. The Stockholm Syndrome is real, real, real. Yeah. That's inducing trauma. For in sure. You. Yeah. Yeah. The way that you're responding, that's a trauma response. Yeah. I have an EMDR therapist that I can refer you to here in Falls Church. Oh, shit. Mm. Okay. She's a very good friend of mine. I would take that. Yeah. Because clearly I haven't worked through this. Right. I think also when it was all happening, I had Mary in my life, and so I was able to have a, a, not that you're a distraction, but like a a focus. Because before you, like, she was all I had. 
that wasn't just like my marriage and the kids and all the shit that was just like, ah, wearing me down. It was, she was the one that-, that She was your fun outlet. Yes, yes. Yeah. Until she wasn't. Until, <laughs> until she wasn't. And <laughs> I, I, I mean, you. and I can't be your therapist, but there's a part of me like clinically that wants to like tease us all apart and find what the precipitating event was that turned the corner from friend into yeah. captor, essentially. Yeah. But I don't get to do that because that's not very fair to you. Well, it's not it, fair and or ethical. It would be interesting to see you uh, analyze it because it's just so it's so bizarre. Mm. My life is bizarre. Can confirm. <laughs> One thing I have noticed about Shelley is she seems to have a high threshold for emotional pain, meaning she doesn't say, "Oh, no, thank you," because she either doesn't recognize it or she's used to it. Yeah, used to it. Did you just talk about yourself in third person? <laughs> She's just used to it. She's just used to the pain. <laughs> Does she feel like she deserves it? I don't, you know, I don't, because I can say, no, I don't deserve to be hurt. No, I don't. Like, no one would say, I deserve it. I won't say and, no one because and I'm sure yet, do. you just spent 30 minutes justifying absolutely tremendous toxicity and pain in your life. You should have heard me justify this shit. Oh, I just um, did, and that's painful. Yeah, and you got like this much of it. Right, that's what I mean, I'm saying. This is, this is years. Ask Diana. She'll be like, oh, my God, Kimberly. Ooh, you Friday night no conversation. Idea. There we go. There hey, you go. Let's process trauma with Shelly oh, around God. the bonfire. We'll go to talk. We'll talk to the bars. We'll hang out by the fire. We'll process some trauma. Sounds like a great Friday night. <laughs> Shelly yeah. won't even be there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't She'll... talk about me like I'm not here. You're not here. What, ta- what tacos pair well with trauma? That's my <laughs> Trauma taco. <laughs> Trauma tacos. <laughs> huh. Tuesday trauma taco. <laughs> trauma taco Tuesday. <laughs> That's oh like God. a little jingle. Is that our is that the new podcast? restaurant? <laughs> trauma taco Every Tuesday. day is Tuesday at Trauma, trauma Taco Tuesday. <laughs> It's not like DJ Buy Fridays. one, get one free. Oh, my God. And that's hilarious. So good. Punch card up to 10. Punch card. You never get your order. <laughs> they always bring you something it's else. late. It's cold. It's cold. Somebody else is they're, dropping they're, the floor. There's shellfish and you're allergic. And here's like, your what? side of disappointment. <laughs> oh, my God. Garnish with ADHD and mm-hmm. CPTSD, yeah. And wash it down with the guilt oh and shame God. cocktail and you're good. Mm-hmm. Light on fire. Hilarious. Damn. All right, before we open the Trauma Taco Tuesday, it's every day's Tuesday at Trauma Taco. Woo! Maybe we do a truck first. Trauma Taco, taco truck. Tuesday truck. The proof of concept. Yeah. Yes. No, yeah. the proof of concept, I see it every day in my office. Exactly. Oh, there you go. Yeah. With or without tacos. Often with tacos. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I don't think we're going to have time for the letter today. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. A, this is a long – I think this is an important uh, episode, though. Yeah, and I didn't know we were going there, by the way. It, it just kind of yeah. happened. What were we talking about? Narcissist? Oh, fawning? Whatever we're talking about yeah. somehow – All of it. Led into It that. was all of it. I was going to tell like two sentences of my experience, and pretty soon, as Kimberly does, helps me to open up, as Mary does, helps me to open up, get my shit out there, and it feels good. I'm gl- I actually feel brave. You because there is shame. There is a lot of shame in how much I put up with in, the, in, in that uh, relationship and how vulnerable I was and how deeply affected I was when I shouldn't have been in my Ooh, air I quotes. I like that word. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you for pulling that out of me, both yeah. of you. But I think suffering um, results in resilience. So it's not wasted. That experience is not wasted. Absolutely not. Right, right. There's a cliche that I use often and a lot of therapists do, name it to tame it. Yeah. No, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. No charge. <laughs> I'll buy you a beer. Pilsner. Okay. Freebies. Freebies here. Yeah. Uh, just like the Trauma Taco Tuesday truck. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I'll have the Tongue Taco Trauma <laughs> Taco I'll take Tuesday. a cabeza. I like the cabeza. <laughs> Lengua. And what is the, the one I like that's the intestines? Uh-huh. What's, what's that called Tri- again? Tripe. Oh, tripe. Tripe. That they fry it. They fry the intestines. Not actually the cow stomach. It's, it's like the pooper. The small intestine. It's yeah. the pooper. It's the and pooper. What, what is it that Cassidy said to me that time when she you found ate out? the butt? <laughs> you ate the butt? Pork butt's a thing. <laughs> Wasn't pork butt. It was it's intestine. Oh, no, no, intestine. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And I recommend eating that hot, fresh out of the fryer. If it sits around, it's not something that you want. 
Well, there's your life lesson. Life tip. <laughs> Fuck the therapy from Kimberly. We're talking, what do you do with the tripe taco? Oh, yeah. There you go. I, I walk on by, and I head for the cabeza taco. <laughs> uh, That's what right. I do. I know. I'm surprised I like it. I usually don't like that sort of thing. Huh. Okay, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging in mm. with this slightly meandering episode, but I thought it was a great one. We're going to try to get to some more of those uh, listener questions another time with Kimberly, as well as that letter that we had to put on hold, but I'm really interested in that. And we might as well give a little shout out to Patreon. 10% of all Patreon levels go to Flourish mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Therapy. We th- and greatly, greatly appreciate it. Yes. Uh, I'm going to just plug the letter just half a yeah, second. Yeah, 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 yeah. The letter that I hopefully can read that you can share in a different podcast is a letter from one of my clients. Did I say this earlier? Say it again. It's from one of my clients. Yes. She's the recipient of the generous gift from Latter-day Lesbian listeners. And their Patreon donations to flourish. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, that help her access uh, mm-hmm. healthcare, mental health care services through me as her clinician. Yeah. I love it. It's a beautiful letter. Pa- I, patrons, I y'all are doing good shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doing good yep. shit. We're not going to read patrons today, but if you would like to support us, please visit latterdaylesbian.org slash support. Thank you so much. Speaking of thanks, we would like to give it to Dan from Extension Audio. Thanks you, for Dan. leaving it in, Dan. Thanks, Dan. And, you know, everybody, please remember to steer clear of those cults because they're no joke. No joke at all. Not a, even a slightly less funny joke. <laughs> no. Yeah. Not even a limerick. I mean, we laugh at it. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. Mm. And there you go. There you go. What is truth, Kimberly? Oh, <laughs> We're trying to wrap this oh, up. Yeah. What is truth? <laughs> Wrapping it up. Okay. So long, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.